and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories, and I am your host, Fred. That great theme music is from Roger Gregg, Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Uh, this week, we finish up the incredibly moving story of humans affected by the cosmos, Pluto, by Promising Productions at the UK, and we've got the second half of the production we started last week, as well as an exclusive interview with Emily Agno, director of the stage and radio version of the production. Uh, she's coming up in the second half of the show, but um, let's let's return now to that remote mountaintop in Chile. This is the story of a scientist, ex-wife, and his daughter, as well as the daughter's lover or ambiguous friend, not quite sure about that, standing on a mountaintop, waiting to see what happens with the shuttle that comes in through re-entry. Of course, the shuttle has blown up, and that doesn't have such uh, great overtones for the uh, future of these uh, four people and um, their love lives and um, their relation to the cosmos. It's a pretty pretty interesting human drama, um, a little bit of the mystic wrapped in with the mundane, and uh, we'll get right into it. Second half, conclusion of Pluto. Hope you enjoy. Not much else was said that night. Nothing beyond an exclamation or random words paired together to signal an exit. At that moment, there was simply no sense in speech. Every one of us was struck by the enormity of what we'd seen. The very public deaths of seven men and women true. People who'd wanted nothing more than to test themselves at the limits of human experience. Until the laws of physics got in the way. So, we all went our separate ways, except we didn't because I never did. I followed her, as ever, to make sure she was all right, as though blindness were an emotional as well as a physical impairment, and saw her not turn her light out when she got back to her room. Waited outside, fell asleep, woke up to see her leave a few hours later and followed. I'd always wanted to ask her why she bothered to turn her light on and off at all, but of course I couldn't, even though I think I knew the answer, that it was what everybody did, sight or no sight. When I'd first met her... Four years earlier, she'd been studying what they call the Fermi Paradox and would love to tell me how, if you were to build eight intergalactic probes, it was always eight, and send them out across the universe in search of life. And if those eight sent out another eight, which would also go out, and even if these ships could scream across the galaxy at a tenth the speed of light, it would take nearly ten billion years, half the age of the universe, to explore just four percent of the galaxy. Mira knew how I felt. I told her often enough, and uh, not always boldly and blandly. I had inveigled, suggested and silenced myself up to her to little or no avail. There was no salvation to be found in my small corner of the universe. Not while other unexplored voids remained. The space beyond. I think in many ways who and what she was made her beyond love. I think she regarded it as a trite, base emotion. To have given in to love would have been to concede defeat to a paltry thing. Even with her father, it was more awe that she felt. The way a man might regard a god or a mountain, not another person. To have asked her about the light would have been to lie to her. Did she know that I was there? Watching over her? Who knows? Now... Now that it's all done and over and I stand here alone, there's no one left to ask. I realize I say I think a lot. It's because I do. Because that's what you do out here, on the outer margins, the furthest reaches out by what most people call the horizon. 
And in thinking, you do all you can to piece things together, which is to say, to try and get the shapes to fit, and thereby make your best guess. It's a thing that very early on, John Buotis made me admit to myself as much as anything. Best guess. Try getting any other scientist to swear by that. They wouldn't dare. Hello. I didn't expect to find anyone here now. It's nearly dawn. I like the dawn. I always knew John was a night person. I hadn't factored you in. Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. No news, still. Not above the expected, anyway. No survivors, obviously. Like there was any chance of that. Even Yorick didn't last long. Yorick? The other name they gave Albert VI, the rhesus monkey. The one who made it down but fried in his capsule in the desert. Alas. Anyway, now the whys begin. We know the whys. No, we think we do. Just because he was right doesn't mean it happened as he said it would. It could have been luck rather than judgment. Yes, God forbid he got everything exact, did all the work as he should have done and came up with the correct answer. He never did the work as he should have, Mira. He followed his own damned path, always. Leaping about, taking things as fact when they were a million miles from it. You don't know him like I do. No, I've been avoiding him these last 18 years. He's a great scientist. No, Mira. He's a great man. There's a difference. A great scientist he most definitely is not. He pins tails on donkeys. Oh, come on. So he operates differently to everybody else. The others do things a certain way and still get things wrong as often as he does. It's a different kind of wrong. It's a not knowing enough wrong, not just a wrong wrong. What he does isn't science. It's not even joining the dots. The dots he comes up with most others don't even recognize as being there in the first place. He's no better than a... than a water diviner. Don't tell me the fact that it works is good enough. Show me the science behind it. You can't even see anything through that recorder. It's all too far away. It's just a distant light. Why does he bother to record that? Christ, he's frustrating. Back then, why did they send you here? Of all places, all the way out here. Maybe because we were a couple. Because they thought we complimented each other? Probably because we asked. They can't have been happy when you upped and left. They were cutting back anyway. In truth, up there has always been about down here. And in the early 90s, down here there was no more Cold War, and the race to discover new worlds waned a little. I think by breaking up we did them a favour in our own small, patriotic way. Not bad for a non-American. When I accepted the job, like your father, I bought into the nationality. Only he would never admit it. You both like to stick your heads in the sand so you can't see what's staring you in the face. It's one of the traits you share and not a good one. What's going on with you and the boy? It was a question I didn't want asked at the best of times. Least of all when I was in earshot and by someone else. Probably more than anything, I didn't want to hear Mira conclude me out of hand. So, 
In anticipation of her reply, I did the only thing I could and, intruding a little more, forced myself out of the shadows. Sorry, I didn't mean to... I didn't see you there. Well, I just arrived. Couldn't sleep for thinking about it all. You and us, the three. Four? He won't be sleeping either. Oh, I get it now. Or at least I think I do. If he'd been right and pieced it all together without any help, it would mean he was motivated not by delivering a personal coup de grace or by publicly calling out to you to come back. Which, by the way, I don't get. It would make him a man who saw a thing and told it because he thought it was right and would save lives. And they didn't listen. Him being right makes you being here an irrelevance. It would mean you read the situation wrong. Shame nobody listened to the one man who turned out to be correct. Nobody believed him. Them? You? Even you, Lau, who's closer to his work than anyone. No, I didn't. Or rather, I didn't think he himself was sure. But you did. I don't count, do I? I tend not to get factored in. That's not fair. You being here isn't fair. On him? On all of us. I need to talk to him, Mira, alone. You think he wants that? I think it's probably pretty much everything he wants. Which doesn't mean he'll let it happen. He knows it's not a good thing. Probably. How would he have been calling out to you by making that statement? It doesn't make sense. Of course it... Look, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. You can't just keep pretending I'm not part of this. I was born to you two, and then you ceased to exist as an entity, but I didn't end. I carried on. You should factor that in, rather than running your life by your own flights of fancy. I may not be able to see, but I know who you are and why it is you do things. You don't know a thing, Mira. You're a girl. A girl who's been cosseted in a make-believe world by her all-too-doting father, trying to make up for an absent mother. I might leave if it's the same to the two of you. Yes, it's probably better if you... Stay, Lau. Stay. She said it with firmness. Assurance. The kind of tone that was her father's staple. The only thing she didn't go on to say was, I need you here, Lau. Stay for me. You're just as much a part of this as the rest of us. Now, I'd like to think she wanted to, or at least had the feeling despite herself. But there was nothing to point to it, really, if I'm honest. She probably said it simply in order to contradict her mother. So what do you know, then, Mira? Hmm? What do you actually know? I know that Bootis isn't his real name. That he changed it after you left... There were no papers before I was born written by a John Buotas. Yes, they mocked him for that, too. Them? You included? It's why you call him John all the time, isn't it, when you know he prefers Buotas? You're just doing it to make a point. Because it's not his name, Mira. You can't just go out and choose a name because you want to change what you mean. To me, he was always John. Something you can't have known. We were here before you. Him and me. I would have put him down for something more mythical, grandiose than just plain old boaters. Nobody's even heard of it. 
Nobody cares. And they all misspell it. Yes, even those who should know better. But you know how it's spelt. And what it means. Of course I know what it means. It's my job to know the names of the constellations. It's their job too. Those that misspell, those that haven't heard of it. It's my job, Mira. There's nothing else beyond it. No residue, if that's what you're suggesting. What else do I know? I also know how you both met. All about your time in the States. None of this is news, Mira. I know he's never been with anyone else since you left. No sane person would have him. Whereas you. Whereas I what, Mira? I'm not quite as chaste. I don't understand you. What's more, I don't want to understand you. We couldn't be more different, you and me. You're 20 years old, Mira. There's still a lifetime of things that can happen to you that will make you a different person. I can promise you that. I won't change. Not in the way you did. You can't know that, Mira. You can't see that far ahead. It's one of the great sadnesses. And there it was. The lull. A brief moment of abeyance, still wind, into which, almost as if responding to his cue, walked John Buotis, the last man left awake. They're still out then, the stars. Haven't resigned or anything, even though we're close to dawn. Truth is, of course, they resigned a long time ago. Ceased to rage. Almost everything we can see up there is dead. Punto. It's just the past glaring back at us. Like this is news to any of you. It all happened too late to make it into the newspapers, of course, so it's not even mentioned as being due. And the Antarctic weather report, John? You're not going to let me down, are you? Clear. As ever outside of winter. Clear and very white. Take your sunglasses. Not much changes in 18 years. The weather down there? You, checking it. I've never been. I like to build a mental picture. I know. Describe white to me again, Dad. It's the opposite of what you see. I can't see anything. It's the opposite of that. But not like that, Dad. Frame it. Tell me a story with it. Not today, Mira. White is the brightest thing you could imagine. The cleanest thing, like a new warm towel. Running the backs of your fingers over silk, that's white. Breathing in cool air. It's what we see up there that makes sense of the sky, breaks up the darkness, so our eyes can piece it together. It might be what we see, but it's not what it is. There are only two colours up there, and they're not black and white. You should stop lecturing me, Mira. I'm your mother. <laughs> Semantics. Blue and red, the colours... The blue is moving towards you and the red is moving away. There's another term I wouldn't have come up with at the dawn of language. Mother or father. They're unhelpful. Pretend we're tied together just because. If we really wanted to move forward, an entire new lexicon would be a start. Give us words for what we should be saying rather than what we think we should because we can. Because the words are there at our disposal. And which am I, Mira? Which colour? Neither. You're neither. But red, as we both know, Mother Dearest, is the colour of the universe of which we're both a part. 
You should go, Cass. Whatever happened here, whatever brought you here, there's nothing to be resolved. You and I were done a long time ago. We need to talk, John. You called me here. No, I didn't. Do you still have the same dreams, John? Does it still feel the same? You were the one that left. I don't care a jot that you did. Not now. But where do you get off coming back just for the crack of it and stirring up this hornet's nest? There's only so much staring up into space you can do before it starts to affect how you see the world. Maybe I've started to see things differently. What? So now, after all this time, you regret leaving? Isn't it a bit late for that? A bit retard? I don't regret it, John. Not in the least. Because to stay and look at her every day would have killed me. Whatever it was brought me back. The fact is that I'm here now and some things deserve to be said. Oh, I see. You're here for one great big final revelation. And in doing so, to throw some more dust in her eyes, mine and your daughter's. Get over your pitiful guilt. It makes me sick. You were conceived, Mira. On the night the last shuttle went down. Twenty years ago. On the night we last watched people die. From here. From where we stand now. And when you turned out... The way you did. Your mother felt nothing but guilt. Like the two things were somehow related, as if we'd done wrong. Like other people weren't having sex that night. We watched them, John. Jesus, we knew two of them. They were our friends. So she cut and ran and left us to our own devices. People die, Cass. Whether you watch them or not tends not to affect the outcome. Sex and death. Is that all? No. It's not all. I was faulty, John. I knew Mira would be born blind. Or at least that there was a very good chance. But that night, under these damn stars, I thought that love might supersede science. Because we did love each other. Do you still have the same dreams, John? Because I never got around to telling you mine. How I wake up in the night and everyone around me has holes where their eyes should be. Everyone. I walk across cities and countries and it's all I see. And some of the faces in the crowds, the ones that I recognise, were actually like that in life. Like my grandfather's. Our daughter is not the first sightless person in my family. There have been plenty of others down the years. I'm sorry, Mira. She went, and I stayed as ever there in the wings. I figured they'd both probably forgotten I existed. And as Mira ran off, the battle raged on around me. You don't seem surprised. I'm not surprised at you. At the news, yes. I should have guessed as much. Still, doesn't change anything. Not now. How doesn't it? She's blind, Cass. Where you and I have always differed, isn't that I think there are worse things in life than blindness. It's just a different way of seeing the world. Just because it's not the norm doesn't make it any less valid a perspective. Of course there are worse things, but you can't access certain parts without ever having seen, without being able to put a shape on what you're up against. If she'd lost her sight at some later point in her life, well, that would be one thing. But 
To start from nowhere. To have nothing from the beginning. No terms of reference. That's something altogether different. Something we're responsible for. Because of us, John. Because of us. Because of you. You don't need to see the stars to know that they're there. Of course you do. The only way of knowing is seeing them. At the very least, it's a starting point. How would we have known otherwise at the start of things? To look up. We would have divined it. All you have to do is feel the space around you to know that there are other things out there, other bodies. And that you can do by standing still and not using a single one of your precious senses. You're not a scientist, John. You're a romantic. The two aren't mutually exclusive. It's just you who thinks they are. Mira being born as she was gave you an excuse. A reason to leave a man you didn't respect, who you professionally disagreed with at every turn. Sure, you might have loved me once. But then our work got in the way. You read the criticisms that were made of me as being directed at you too. Hell, maybe you wanted some criticisms of your own, which you didn't get. Professional jealousy of you? Oh, come on. What have you done, Cass? What have you achieved? So I should have compromised my principles in order to gain notoriety like you did. I wasn't aware I was notorious. You're not. You're a laughingstock. Or would be if people bothered to give you a second thought. Like you? Not like me. I'm here because of our history. Otherwise, I wouldn't pay you any notice either. I've tried to forget you, believe me, but she, her presence, won't let me. More self-pity. Move on. Move on. It happened, and that's it. So it didn't turn out right, or what you regard as being right. And why now? There's no great reason to trawl through any of this now. You made a decision, live with it. You called me here. That's almost the saddest thing about this, Cass. Sadder even than what happened up there. I didn't call you here, but you think I did. You think you still matter to me? That I think about you at every turn? Don't you? John, you're wrong. About almost everything. Okay, maybe I did disagree with some of your ideas, and more importantly, your methodology, what little of it there was. Just not yours, is all. All right. But still, I worried about how far out on a limb you were putting yourself every day as though it was something you had to do. But I never once resented you for it. And still you left. Because it stopped being about us. She was what we had come to mean. Why is that such a bad thing? She's a beautiful, intelligent, wonderful girl. We see for a living, John. We look at things, look up at things. Visibility is what we do. We're under different skies, you and I. What'll happen to this place? Why? Do you want it back? I haven't decided. It would be unfair to burden her with it. Maybe I'll sell it. I don't know. Whatever. It isn't any of your business. I haven't seen some of these stars in years. You were right about one thing. I've never done or said anything, John. I'm a cartographer, is all. I'm not changing the landscape like you try to. It's how it always was. Only thing is that now we're seeing it better and know where we went wrong before, where we misunderstood. 
That's the thing that changes over time, our tools. I've been helping to chart it more accurately. That's all I've been doing. And still, you persist with these obsolete... They're an antidote to the monsters. Close up isn't always more correct. You were always different. Battering down huge doors just because they were there. It was never a partnership of equals. In our work. You and I never had to be about our work. Try making it something different, John. It's what we do, what we've always done. Going to the cinema or reading the papers was like dead time waiting for the new shift to begin. They knocked it down. The cinema. I saw... Guess losing you was the final straw for them. Yes, it was. I'm sorry, John. I don't know what for, but I'm sorry. Maybe for the end. For now. Who knows? Just... Sorry. I did come because I thought you called me. Right or wrong, that's why I came. It honestly is. And you should also know that if you'd called earlier, or I thought you had, I would have come then, too. Because it was love, whatever that means. And no, I never stopped listening, just in case. Even though I knew I could never come back. Goodbye, John. now, love. I don't know what to say. You say nothing. How she knew she was... and never said. It's no big deal, Lau. How is it no big deal? Mira's blind and she knew it could happen. Come on, Lau, don't be so naive. I knew it as well as she did. I knew too that it was a likely thing. You think I didn't know her dreams in return? Ten years of sleeping next to someone, with someone, feeling their breathing shift when they're having a nightmare, or go deeper when they're running away from something in a different world. I heard everything she said in the nights, and what I didn't hear I felt. There are other ways to communicate over and above speech. And you never let on you knew why? And let her off the hook? She should have fronted up. All she had to do was tell me directly, how hard can that have been? Instead, she chose to hide it and to take her chances with me and with Mira. And you let it happen that night, took the chance knowing full well that... Maybe I believe the same as her, that love would find a way. It's science, Bootes, genetics. It doesn't get superseded by love. You're in love with my daughter, Lau. That's why you're here. Not because you respect my work. Don't tell me love can't supersede science. What will happen to this place? It's up to Cass. She'll have to decide. Cass? My name is still on the deeds. I never took it off. I envy their deaths, Lau. Where it happened to them. Where better than in the act of return, instance before reaching home. Is there, across the dull grind of our days, a more consistently happy moment? And the view that they had way they saw us. Look back at us. Some views are worth a death. You and I, no matter how big the monsters get, truth is our view won't change. 
this is our vantage point. What we're stuck with. And your dream, John? What was your dream? I don't know. She never told He always derided the monsters. But the truth is we can't have telescopes big enough. The more we see, the more we need to see, the more we know is out there to be discovered. We've seen the start of the universe. All that's left is to find its conclusion. It's the only thing that will suffice, that will sate us. And the thing that will be the end of us. What's natural is also deadly. The thing that drives us will also, in the final analysis, lead us to our end. Perhaps we should leave the dark matter alone. Just go back to our simple lives, be content to sense awe and wonder, best perhaps not to see at all. Leaving him, and still thinking myself her guide, I went to Mira and told her that her father had known too, that both her parents had known, that no one was more or less guilty than the other. She just looked back at me and said nothing, failed to reply, didn't seem sad or disappointed, just stood there cold in front of me under the dawn light, much I imagine as her mother must have done 18 years earlier. Mira left that afternoon, and him? John Boote's, two days later, they went off separately down the mountainside in that old yellow school bus. So much faster on the slope down, away from here. I never heard of or from her again. But still, today, I imagine, without even a scant fact to base it on, that she's sitting at the end of a table or at a lectern or even in a pulpit, making people believe. On other days, she's doing what she always did. Sat in a different cinema to the one her mother loved, or getting on a bus, or sitting in the darkness looking up. Turning on a light switch in her room. It's often blithely called leading a life. And from here, I wait for her call reprising history. Because are there any other options open to us? And John Buotis. His obituary I would read within the month, written as an afterthought in the trade press he subscribed to, which was delivered here. A short piece, written almost as an embarrassment days after the event, as tends to happen with unimportant deaths. Unheralded lives. Pluto was never a planet. Not even close. But what they, the scientists, fail to realize is that it doesn't matter. Not in the way they think. The fact is, we called it a planet, and that, in the eyes of us, made it one. It is not what something is, but what we believe it to be.
Pluto was directed by Emily Agnew and produced by Andrea Carpenter and Peter Brown. Lau was played by Matt Addis, John Buotes by Bill Hutchins, Mira by Samantha Hopkins, and Cass by Ruth James. The programme was recorded by Jean-Pierre Racky in Aragon, Spain, and mastered at 2002 Studios by Stephen Gurevitz. And that was the conclusion of Pluto, first a stage piece and then ultimately a radio drama, which you just heard. Uh, we got to talk to Emily Agnew, who is the director of both the stage part and the radio drama. However, she was not with Promising Productions. We'll be here a little bit about what it was like to work with them, um, directing a piece, especially when your background is not in radio. So let's uh, get right into that discussion with Emily. Uh, this was recorded from the live radio drama revival show. Um, I was pretty excited because I got a... Um, live a Skype call to go out on our board at the radio station. So um, if there's some weird stuff, it's because the voice over IP, but I think it's a, it's a great interview. Um, hope you enjoy Emily Agnew. Emily Agnew, she was the director both of the radio play and the, um, and the radio drama piece, and let's see if we got her. Um, Emily, do we have you over there in the UK right now? Hi there, yes, I'm over here in the UK. Excellent. Um, so we managed to rig up voiceover IP here. It's working wonderfully. Um, so, so tell us, Emily, I, I kind of had this feeling that this would be a play that would work really well um, as a stage piece, and it turns out it, it actually was. So uh, did it start out on the stage before it became radio? It did, yes, yeah. Um, we produced it in London last June uh, as a stage play um, and then took it out to a festival in Spain, and it was out in Spain that we made the radio recording of it. And so what was your, your background in radio that, uh, you know, interested you or made you want to um, take this play and give it some more life in, in the radio form? Well, actually, interestingly, as a director, um, I haven't got any background in radio drama, so this was a new one for me. Um, but Promising Productions, uh, who are the producers of the show, had have a lot of background in radio drama. Uh, they came to see the show in London and just loved it and thought it would make a perfect uh, radio drama play. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where it was, where it came from. Sure. And, and how does your role as director change? Um, obviously, it's, you're working a very different art form. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so, so yeah. So the, the, were you in the studio directing everybody, or how how was the actual logistics of how this production came together? Uh, well, actually, we did it on location out in Spain. So we were out uh, at midnight on a Spanish mountainside um, recording the the play. Um, with the actors, so uh, we had um, all the actors there uh, reading the play, um, and then myself directing it as they went um, oh, and stopping cool. and starting. So a very different experience than than being in a theatre environment, then for sure. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Okay, and um, it's the chance to stop a production as it's happening <laughs> uh, and make it new and make it different and make it how you really want it to be. So that's that's very exciting. Cool. And did you have the same the same cast, or did you have to recast it to the radio version? No, we had the same cast. Um, the cast flew out to Spain with us uh, to perform the play um, out in Spain, and then as part of that performance, we also did the radio version. Excellent. And and so you probably weren't doing the techie stuff. You're you're working with the actors and, yeah. and, and helping. Yeah, them. I was working with the actors exactly that. Yeah. Excellent. And and so what are, what are the other other things? You said this is your first sort of radio piece. Um, do you anticipate doing more radio work, or you know, did this in- intrigue you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it definitely intrigued me. It was a fantastic experience. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to do a lot more radio stuff in the future. 
Um, certainly, hopefully, I'll do some more work with Promising Productions. Um, they're a great production company, um, really supportive. Um, they really worked worked with me uh, really well um, because I'd never done it before. Excellent. And so, um, so, so, oh, go ahead. And so, tell us about um, your own production since you, uh, you know, radio is just a, a small portion of the overall pie. Um, what, what, yeah, what are you more likely to be doing other than a radio play in your life? Uh, I'm more likely to be doing a stage show, uh, so I've got a show coming up quite soon uh, in October, uh, which is a piece of new writing um, and new musical drama, um, so that's coming up then, and then I've got a big uh, Christmas show as well this year, we've got a musical version of uh, Christmas Carol um, coming up towards the end of the year. Excellent, so um, what, you know, going back to, to, to Pluto, what was, yeah. what, what drove that to be created in the first place, was that... Um, an original piece of writing that that you stumbled across, or, or were you you were you part in, in, of choosing that that uh, for being a stage piece to begin with? Um, well, basically, it's uh, written by um, a man called John Bonfilio, um, who happens to run uh, Makita Grit Productions with myself uh, and a couple of others, um, and he brought the play to us, and uh, we loved it and thought it was a great play, both for stage and for radio. Um, but we decided to do the stage version first, and that's kind of how it was born, really. Mm-hmm. And then, do you, do you have you do you think that having it as a radio play has a, has given it you know more life or extended its its reach a bit more? Uh, we didn't manage to get it out there to absolutely absolution. We should get it out there to to a lot more people, a lot wider audience. Cool. Um, so. F- yeah, and, and so does that change your, your thinking when you're looking at more uh, stage plays? Does that make you think in the, in the future that you may, uh, you know, ultimately choose, uh, you know, or look at radio drama as a, uh, an ultimate venue for, for taking that piece and, um, you know, f- finishing it or, or giving it more life after, after it's done its stage run? Or, or how does that, you know, does that change your, your thoughts um, with Makedia? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, doing the experience, the radio experience was just incredible. Um, and having the opportunity to get it out there, to be able to have a CD of your work that you can then send on, send out to other people, get other people excited by it, interested in it. Um, shows like yourselves um, who can put it on for us, it's just fantastic. It really reaches a lot more people that way. Um, so I'd certainly consider for the next shows that we do, uh, doing radio versions of them as well, definitely. Yeah, and it, it seems kind of fun because here we are, you know, over, in, in Portland, Maine, you know, a, a good a good long flight away, and and we probably yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be making it over to London to see your pieces. So it's a, way, a nice way for us to be able to enjoy that kind of work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, and and what and what kind of you know style overall is Mokita Grit? Is it is it um, seems like it's a kind of an indie type of of um, theater. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's mainly new writing. We did a lot of new writing stuff, so we work a lot with uh, young and emerging writers um, to really develop their work, um, and also a lot of directors um, to develop their work as well. Uh, we work a lot in musical theatre as well, um, and we, we work a lot with the uh, combination between straight drama and musical theatre, mm-hmm. trying to break down some of those barriers. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and you've got a, a nice website here, makitagrit.com. Um, is there any, anything else that internet um, listeners or, or listeners over, over here might you know, find interesting, other websites to check out to, to get a, a sense of your stuff? Um, you know, obviously, I've played the, the, the piece Pluto. Is there anything else you might recommend uh, people check out? Um, yeah, I mean, on that website, there should be um, a little link to a lot of our um, publicity, a lot mm-hmm. of the shows that we've done. Um, it's also worth checking out Promising Productions' website. 
that is um, as well. Uh, they do a lot of radio drama. They've got a great show um, that they've just started producing uh, called The Red Man, um, which again was originally a play um, that they then took and, and made a radio version of that, um, which is really interesting. It was on at the Edinburgh Festival this year. Um, that's definitely worth checking out. Sure. And, uh, and then they've got a new show that they're doing uh, based all on a train, um, <laughs> which I think is in production at the moment. Excellent. And, and I, I, one thing I didn't ask about the production, did you um, have to adapt it for radio? I, I assume it wasn't um, exactly as is um, on, the, uh, on the stage version. You had to make some adaptations to make it work with, with audio alone. Yeah, a few. Although, interestingly, um, the way it was written, actually, obviously there are differences, but they're not huge. They're not massive. We didn't have to make critical uh, differences. Yeah, there wasn't a huge visual pieces. Yes, the, obviously the visual, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we had to add things in, like uh, the fact that there are telescopes in the show. Mm-hmm. Obviously on stage there are just telescopes, mm-hmm. um, whereas on the radio drama we had to mention that there were telescopes. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, great. And so are, are you involved at all with any of the other upcoming Promising Productions, or will you just be if, if they pick up another one of your plays? I think probably just if they pick up another one of my plays at the moment, um, but never say never. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and, and again, on the MakitaGrit.com website, there's some nice photos here. So, you know, if you, if you are one of those people who likes to, hear, likes to have the visual, um, you've, got, you've got that covered, too. Um, yeah, absolutely. There are some visuals of Pluto on there as well, if anyone's interested. Oh, excellent. Uh, well, uh, Emily, thanks so much for your time. It's, it's kind of fun to, to, hear, to hear this, um, you know, especially just to get a different perspective. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, what, what, what Promising Productions is great is, you know, bridging the, the theater radio gap, which, which doesn't happen yeah. quite often enough around here. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's fantastic. They're doing a great job. Great. Uh, well, well, Emily, thanks so much for your time. Do you have any, any other quick closing thoughts? Um, no, just I really hope everyone out there enjoys Pluto, uh, and it's great to talk to America. Yeah, well, uh, we got it, and you know, using the using the amazing technology of Skype, it worked out uh, pretty well. Um, so thanks, yeah. uh, thanks so much for your time, Emily. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you very much. All right, great. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. <laughs> All right, and thanks again. That was Emily Agnew, director of the piece Pluto, as well as uh, director from the production company Mokita Grit Productions. Mokita Grit. M O K I T A G R I T dot com. And uh, next week, uh, we have the great pleasure of uh, bringing back to um, Final Room Productions. We have our first original, well, not original piece, but we have our first production in a little while. Um, This is actually going to be a recreation of the old-time radio classic, Most Dangerous Game. Um, It was all recorded in the field out in the mud and muck of the woods of Alfred, Maine, and um, in a in-studio, well, not in a studio, but in a house in um, South, South, South Portland, Maine. Um, it's going to be joined with some other um, old-time radio classics, including ones that if you are a radio drama fan of any sort, you obviously have heard of Sorry, Wrong Number and Three Skeleton Key. Well, we did those, and I think we did a worthy, uh, I think we did a worthy tribute um, to those classic plays. Um, so that will be coming up probably later in October, may make it into the um, scary, spooky stories mix that we have lined up for October. And of course, don't forget that we have the huge Radio Drama Revival special episode live on Halloween night, 7 to 9 p.m. Um, that, again, is going to be a final room production in collaboration with Madhorse Theater Company and other people, including WMPG, a community station where um, Radio Drama Revival originates. Um, that's going to be a huge show. You'll be able to stream into it uh, live on Halloween night, 7 to 9 p.m., um, it's going to be very fun if you're in the Portland, Maine area. Hope you will check it out. Um, otherwise, it will go up here on the Radio Drama Revival podcast. But, you know, it'll be November by the time you hear it. It will not be actual Halloween night. 
And there's going to be zombies. There's going to be uh, weird ghosts, um, stuff from Roger Gregg, um, Kevin Anderson, my own work, and uh, local writer Mark Laflam. It's going to be an incredibly awesome evening. So I hope you make it out or uh, get to tune in. And that's my plug. And I'm going to be plugging it every week from here on out because uh, we want to sell out the show. It's going to be great. Um, that is the wrap for this week. And until we speak again, uh, you can hear more by checking out the blog, radiodramarevival.com. You can go you can, of course, find a link to subscribe to this podcast, as well as archives of previous episodes, reviews, the in-depth Malleus series by Chris Duker, my own weekly column, Fred's Fuse, shorter reviews up on there. Every now and again, we get little promos out, such as the one this week for Agatha Christie, a free audiobook download. Check out radiodramarevival.com to get that. Um, while you're there, join the conversation, leave a comment or two. You can also find us on iTunes, Radio Drama Revival. All right, Radio Drama Revival is produced by me, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains to their original producers, but do please share this podcast as far and wide as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's community radio station, and it is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week. 